This is the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast, episode number 76 with guest Terry Cole. All links and resources you hear on this podcast can be found by going to yourkickasslife.com forward slash 76. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. As always, I'm very excited about today's episode of the podcast. I met Terry Cole at Soul Camp. We were actually bunkmates, and I, I knew her. I followed her on social media beforehand, and I was just so excited to be able to hug her in real life and get to know her a little better, and I um, made her come on my podcast. <laughs> I was like, you have to come and talk to my people. She's just amazing. So here's a little bit about Terry. Terry Cole is a licensed psychotherapist, transformation coach, and an expert in turning fear into freedom. For almost two decades, Terry has empowered many individuals, including celebrities and professional athletes alike, through television, radio, her popular TEDx talk, workshops, and online courses that redesign limiting mental beliefs to create extraordinary lives. Terry's struggles, which you will hear about in the podcast, Combine practical psychology, Eastern mindfulness practices, and harnessing the power of intention to create sustainable change. Terry was a weekly radio show on on Hay House Radio and writes regularly for publications such as the Huffington Post, Positively Positive, The Daily Love, and has been featured in Italian L and Origin Magazine, to name a few. Terry was honored to be nominated for a Weebly Award and to be included in the top 100 bloggers to watch. Terry's podcast, Hello Freedom, debuted in September 2015 and provides sage advice and practical strategies to create more freedom in all areas of your life. And I just wanted to quickly mention, y'all, my book, 52 Ways to Live a Kick-Ass Life, uh, is on sale still through the holidays. You can get a you can get it on Amazon for show easy peasy, but you can or in Barnes and Noble across the United States and abroad. But if you want a signed personalized signed copy from moi, you can go to yourkickasslife.com forward slash fifty two, and it is only fifteen bucks, and that includes shipping to U.S. only. So if you don't live in U.S. and you want a personalized signed copy, just let us know. There's information right there on that page, yourkickasslife.com forward slash 52. We'll send you a quote for shipping, but they make really great gifts. I've already sent out a boatload of them to you guys who are taking advantage of this deal, and that is going on. Um, So if you want it before Christmas, excuse me, if you want it before Christmas, get your ass over there and get one, okay? And without further ado, here is Terry. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another edition of the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast. I'm here with the lovely Terry Cole on episode 76. And hey, Terry, I'm so glad you're here. Hey, Andrea. Thanks for having me, mama. Yeah, we had some, I did one of my, my, you're so sweet too. You're so great. I'm so glad it was with you because when we had our, well, I should say when I had my mishap the other day, when I totally spaced on our appointment. Mm-hmm. That was one of my unwanted identities coming true. And I talk about that with my people. Ooh, <laughs> tell me. Well, I know. Just just jump right into the deep end. Um, <laughs> I work, well, I do the work of Dr. Brene Brown. It's based mm-hmm. on her research. I'm certified to do her work. And one of the exercises that we do, and you'll be very familiar with this as a trained psychotherapist, unwanted identities are the things that 
like our, our nightmare to be perceived as this fill in the blank, (laughs) like is our worst nightmare. And it, and it makes us vulnerable to shame. And as a online business owner, life coach, one of my unwanted identities is to be seen as incompetent, unprofessional, Mm -hmm. unorganized. And when I spaced on our appointment, because it was in the afternoon, I'll let my listeners know, I, I rarely schedule anything when my kids are home after school, and I did. So I was like outside throwing the ball with the dog and my daughter, and I see him <laughs> like, who called me on Skype? Oh, shit. <laughs> right, right. 6 p.m. So it's like that panic sets in. But it was great because I knew what was happening. And I'm like, okay, yeah. this is one of my unwanted identities. I'm okay. The world yeah. isn't going to fall apart. <laughs> Nope, it's not. <laughs> and luckily, you're sweet and didn't judge me. So and how about human and do it myself at times? Right, right. I know. So I fully understand that. It's funny. I had this happen with someone who actually is a, fr- a friend twice. I still haven't interviewed her because I literally stood her up twice to interview her <gasps> for my for my. And I was like, what the hell is wrong? Do I not want her? She's like an award-winning <laughs> author. Like, what is my problem? So, yeah, I completely – at least she didn't do it twice to me. <laughs> well, yeah. No, I, I did. I made it this time. And But it's that – everyone knows, like, that moment of panic. And it's more like, oh, my God, what is this person going to think of me? Like, <laughs> and, and like you're saying, like, what am I doing? How could I be so stupid? And so what I try to teach people is when you find yourself going into those moments – is to practice self-compassion. And that's what I did. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, again, thank you for being here. And I, I kind of jumped us into the deep end right from the get-go. But I'd like to back up a minute. And I'd love for you to tell us your fear story. And what I mean by that is I was I was reading on your, I think it was your about page about your former career. And then something really scary happened to you and your husband that brought you to what you say, get your PhD in fear. So can you tell right. us that story? Sure. Um, I was a talent agent, um, so I was representing, like, negotiating contracts for supermodels and celebrities. Mm-hmm. And I knew I needed to not be doing that anymore, but I was kind of afraid to leave. So I finally bit the bit the bullet and decided I was going to go. And as I was graduating from grad school, um, the single most important defining experience of my life happened, and I met the man who would become my husband, Victor. Good old Vic. Good old Vic. <laughs> and... Um, so as I'm leaving this career, so so the beginning of the fear really was just having the courage to leave a very lucrative career that nobody understood why I was leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd worked very hard to become very successful at a young age. I was in my early 30s. I was running a bi-coastal talent agency. Um, but I, I wasn't happy. I, I was chasing a feeling that I thought like the money and the prestige and the shininess Status. was going to give me. But then when I finally got to the top of that heap and that that feeling wasn't there, I was like, wow, like I just have to not do this anymore because I felt like I was a part of a problem, mm-hmm. like the misogynistic stuff in, in um, the modeling world and all of that. So I meet Vic as I'm basically now going from making a zillion dollars a year to making pretty much none. And I am going to start my practice. And I never thought I wanted to get married, actually, before meeting Vic. And then somehow, you know, on paper... He was widowed, divorced, had three angry acting out teenage sons, lived in Elizabeth, New Jersey. And if you're not from the Northeast, you might not know that that's probably a place you don't want to live when I was living on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. (laughs) A little bit of a change. Yeah. So on paper, it was all like, wow, really? But once once we connected, I was like, oh, I don't I live anywhere. You could have 47 teenagers. Mm -hmm. I don't care. Like you're my person. So, I mean, pretty quickly. I, I got in there, you know, and I'd say within the first like 
three months that Vic and I were together, my father dropped dead suddenly of a heart attack. Oh, wow. He wasn't sick. He was only 61. So that was very distressing. I'd really never had anyone that close to me die. But, you know, we get through it. And then about two months after my father's sudden death, um, I'm cleaning out his house with my sisters in Florida, and I find this lump in my throat. And I call my mother, even though she's not a doctor, but she kind of thinks she is. Mm -hmm. And so she said, oh, I know what that is. It's, it's nothing. It's just a goiter. Like it's some thyroid thing. Just go to the doctor. So obviously it wouldn't be a story if it was just a goiter. So <laughs> just it, a goiter. That, that it, should be the title of your next book, Tara. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. It's just a goiter. Just a goiter. <laughs> anyway, it wasn't a goiter. It was a malignant tumor the size of a plum. So I get diagnosed with cancer early on in this relationship. And, you know, basically, I'm still super optimistic, and it's fine, because that's my personality. I'm like, okay, well, I have these kids to help, because they were all the kids needed to get, you know, everyone got into therapy right away. So I have the surgery, radiation, okay, fine, on to the next. Now, I get a clean bill of health from the medical world, and yet my intuition is telling me that something is still wrong. Mm. So, you know, of course, the doctor's are like, well, you're smoking crack, because nothing's wrong. The tests say you're fine. I was like, yeah, I mean, who's going to go with, but my gut instinct says something's wrong. For so a second, for, hold on, for a second, we just, I thought you were going to say that you literally were smoking crack. And I'm like, oh. really? <laughs> You're like, I'm like wow, you've got crack addiction too? <laughs> You're like, that was some year. <laughs> that was, that was <laughs> you a rough one, Terry. Pipe. Took that hard. Okay. No, not, no crack and no goiters. Okay. Carry no, on. No goiters. So. I literally go surgeon shopping in New York City until I find someone, the head of surgery at Beth Israel, who was willing to basically take out the other half of my thyroid based on my non-medical intuition. And when I go in for the um, to actually get the results, he says, oh, interesting pathology. And now I'm not such a cancer virgin anymore. So the first time around, I was such a cancer virgin when the doctor said, well, it's malignant. I said, oh, is that the good one? He was like, oh, well, not really. Um, this guy said, interesting. I said, oh, because it's malignant. He said, not only was there a malignancy, but it's a completely different kind of cancer that's a more serious cancer that could move to lungs and bones. Oh, dear. Wow. So same surgery, same radiation, different, really a different prognosis. I mean, the prognosis is fine, but a different diagnosis because this was now a different kind of cancer. So I was like, yeah, good thing we test, you know, trusted my non Mm -hmm. medical intuition but that was a lot to deal with so that was less than a year into my relationship with my husband um you know everything is new i'm starting a new practice I, i'm not masterful at anything i inherit teenagers i have no friggin idea what i'm doing anywhere in the world and so finally i'd say we're now we're coming upon the year mark and vic and i get engaged what i like to say is the second happiest day of my life <laughs> the happiest day of my wedding day and we're going out to um we're going out to celebrate, and it's it's the summer, and he's outside in the car waiting for me. We're going to go into the city, and we lived in Jersey, but right outside the city. And I'm in the bathroom, and I hear him say my name in this weird way that I can't even describe. He's not he's a Pisces. He's completely mellow, not impatient at all. He knew I was in the house. Just I was just going to the bathroom. It would be very unlike him to be like, hurry up. What are you doing? You know. But he just said my name, and I could hear him. And I said, I'll be right out. I'm just washing my hands. So then I... I literally walk out onto the back porch. I can see the car and the lights are on, but all I can see because it's pitch black is the funnel, like those light funnels. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to understand what I'm seeing. And it looks like, I, I, I can't make sense of it at first. It's like this 
very muscular wedge of a body that has a white tank top on, but it's like crouching in this weird way. And then when I finally can focus, I'm trying to see the face. I thought maybe it was one of the boys because they were all very tall, even as young teens. Mm -hmm. And I look and I realize that the person who's crouching has a stocking over their face. So their features are all flattened out. And I'm like, oh, God, that can't be good. So I look down and he's kneeling on Vic's back and has a gun to the back of Vic's head. Oh, my God. So we got robbed at gunpoint, basically in our backyard with one of the boys on the third floor. Thank God nothing happened to Ben, who was in the house. You know, so, when, so your stepson was home the whole time and while you were getting robbed and never saw. Yeah. Right, because we didn't. Oh, my gosh. We never went into the house. It was God. quiet. Okay. So, I mean, but you can imagine what was happening in my mind. <sighs> Jesus Christ. And okay. It was happening in Vic's mind. Like we were both losing it. So, you know, we get robbed. He takes what he wanted um, and leaves. He runs away. So we end up, you know, call the police to do the whole thing. But, you know, for me, this was what I like to say. This completed my PhD in fear. So I went from being someone who was very, like, lived a pretty bold life, created my own luck all the way along, really hardworking, to now having this experience where I felt paralyzed with fear. I was afraid to be alone in my house, which, oh my God, pissed me off so much. I was, I never felt safe. It was one of those traumatic responses, which of course, as a therapist, I knew what was happening. But as a human, Mm -hmm. I was incensed. I was so pissed. I was like, I can't give anyone that power over me. And if I don't figure out this, my relationship to my fear mind, I'm never going to fulfill my dharma. I'm never going to rock my purpose in life if I let fear continue to really make my decisions for me. I was so uncomfortable with that. I was also exhausted. I couldn't sleep. I was, you know, I was afraid. I had a pit bull. I had, you know, a knife next to my bed and nothing made me feel safe. And so that was when I really dedicated my love to becoming an expert on the mind-body connection to fear so that I could free myself, of course, with the help of professionals and EMDR and trauma work and all, all the other things that I did to not be afraid to be alone in my own house. Um, But then I thought, wow, this is how my clients feel. My clients who are afraid all the time, who are worriers, who are constantly Mm -hmm. in this fearful place, this must be how they feel. That's horrible. There has to be a better way. And so I actually really dedicated the next 18 years of my practice to becoming an expert at the mind-body connection to fear to help my clients not have fear Um, dictate how big or small their lives are because when fear is driving the van of your life trust me it is a small life yes oh my gosh that is a crazy story right i was like on the edge of my seat listening (laughs) which i'm sure all of my people are too it was so scary oh my god i didn't know that about you i knew just you know for what little i know about you that you went through a lot in a short period of time but I think what strikes me is just I love that you took responsibility and just said, I'm not going to live like this anymore. And and just felt all your anger and all the feelings that you had around it, like your human yeah. feelings, and chose a different path. Right. And I also love that you named all of the things that you did to get through that. I, I'm a big fan of EMDR myself yep. and have gone through it, um, trauma work and, and all of that stuff because – and I'm sure you agree. It's it's more than just saying like I'm done with this fear, you know. Oh, oh please, <laughs> I, I, I said that a thousand times before it was away. I wanted to be done with it, you know. Yeah. But it 
it really requires, I mean, as a psychotherapist myself, you know, of course, I know it requires changing something in your brain. Absolutely. I mean, we're creating new neural pathways, right? A, mm-hmm. a new way of thinking, like habitual, fearful thoughts. Yeah. Don't just, I, I would love to take this opportunity just a quick, I don't know, are you, a, do you do EMDR with your, with your clients or? I I, I'm not a practitioner. I only okay. from it. <laughs> well, and I, I've mentioned it a few times on my podcast and I, cause I, I interview therapists and I want to just take a moment really quick. I'll give you my definition of what it is and you probably have a way better one. <laughs> and this is how my therapist sort of explained it to me is that she said that Basically, it's a way to – the theory is is that it helps heal your brain because like if we get a physical injury, when we sleep our and we rest, our body heals this physical injury. Well, our mind doesn't get the same opportunity. So what EMDR is sort of like reprograms, like you were saying, those neural pathways because a lot of times just – we just haven't caught up. Like our brains haven't caught up to the present moment. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how I <laughs> – Explain it. Do you have a better way of explaining it, Miss Terry Cole? You know, here, LMFT. <laughs> it's actually LCSW, but LCSW. yeah, close <laughs> enough. It's sort of like the set of standardized protocols that that it incorporates elements of a lot of different approaches. So I feel like why it's difficult to to put like an easy explanation on EMDR is that it's not. Um, it's not just one thing, right? It, this is, it is an evidence-based psychotherapy for PTSD. Like that's what it started out as. Yes. And it didn't it start like for war veterans. And- it did. Okay. It did. But here's the thing with this is that it became, when it first came out, like the, the therapists of the day and all of the researchers around trauma were so shocked at how well it did, right? The successful outcomes were kind of mind-blowing, and then they became really well-documented. And this was something then people were like, wow, you know, you can use um, EMDR for psychiatric disorders, mental health problems, somatic symptoms, Mm -hmm. right? So basically, the model that EMDR is based on is adaptive information processing, AIP, right? And this is what psychopathology is due to this, the, the belief is, a lot of psychopathology is due to the maladaptive encoding and or the incomplete processing of traumatic or disturbing adverse life experiences. Does that make sense? Yeah. So basically, like, people have really messed up situations that happen in their life and their brains don't process them correctly. Is exactly. That- okay. So this impairs the client's ability, right, to integrate these experiences in some kind of an adaptive manner. That's why you have this disruption mm-hmm. in your life. So EMDR is like a it's, it's an eight phase three pronged process basically, and it facilitates clients resuming basically normal information processing and integration in their life. So it targets the past experiences and the current triggers, which is super important, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Like what is it right now in your life that is triggering? your traumatic response, and also it takes into consideration your future potential challenges, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. We, we, it alleviates the present symptoms, and it, what the whole purpose of it is to decrease or eliminate the distress of these disturbing traumatic memories, right? It mm-hmm. improves your view of yourself because now you have a more clear view, and it relieves the bodily reaction. So think about trauma. When you have a traumatic response, you have a super biological, physiological Absolutely. Mm-hmm. response. So anyway, we can I can say more about EMDR, but I feel like if anyone who's listening um, 
has a traumatic experience that continues to negatively impact and inform their life right now, wow, I super encourage you to check out EMDR. And if you're not sure where to go, you can check online. And actually, Andrew, when we're done, I'll, I'll send you a link where people can look because there's there's Is so many EMDRIA.org. Yes, that's where I found my therapist. Yeah, and in the show notes, you guys, if you go to yourkickasslife.com forward slash 76, all the show all the notes to blog posts that we're going to talk about of Terry's and that EMDRIA.org will be in there and you can search in your area for someone who's certified. Yeah, it's it's really, really amazing. I remember when I first heard about it years ago, I went to a, a trauma conference and this guy, his name is Basil van der Kirk. He's a very famous trauma expert, was just describing like how his mind was blown and he'd been working in the field of trauma for 30 years at that point and that was probably 15 years ago. Um, and so I got super interested and I almost became certified and then my life took this other more public turn with my platform and I was like, you know, I have to decide like, am I going to like hone in and be really be a trauma expert or am I going to facilitate bringing these therapeutic theoretical things to the masses in a way that makes them accessible and then that's the route that mm-hmm. I actually went. Yes. Um, and I, I so thank you for allowing us to talk about it for a few minutes because I've mentioned it and I just, I feel like, and here's just one more note on that, you guys, is that I sort of poo-pooed this kind of work because I felt like, and this is such a worthiness issue, I felt like my t- stories and my trauma just wasn't bad enough or good enough, however you want to put mm-hmm. it. And I'm like, right. no, that's for war veterans. That's for people who have experienced, um, you know, violent rape or child abuse or or seen horrific acts, that's not for me. And and really, it's anyone who's experienced any kind of traumatic event, however it is on the spectrum, um, I invite you to look into that. So, yes. yes. Don't minimize. It's, exactly. If you feel like something in the past, the only criteria, according to me, is if you had a traumatic experience somewhere in the past that you feel like still limits, causes you stress or pain, or can be reactivated with a smell, a sound, a thought, that you were having a traumatic mm-hmm. response, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. And I feel like so many people have that. Yes. No doubt. Yes. I love your, I love that definition. So speaking of the past, you wrote a blog post um, called, Are You a Prisoner of the Past? Where mm. you talk about um, really trauma, like we were just talking about, and possibly how it's affecting you today. So for someone listening, how can they ascertain if they need help in that area with trauma work or if they're ready for coaching, which focuses on more of a forward movement? I think you kind of just answered that question, but do you think there's anything more to say about that? I think that there is. So I think that that what would help um, you guys listening to basically uh, determine what what is happening for you. So do you have... PTSD. What are the actual, um, what are the actual symptoms of those things? How can you, how can you figure that out? Right. So there's a whole list of questions, and I won't go through all of them, but but there's ones that are that are helpful that you can probably just, um, if I, I'm just going to mention a few, mm-hmm. and you're going to be able to, I think, quickly say yay or nay because either you're having these symptoms or not. So one big um, symptom of PTSD, they're generally grouped into about four types. So you have intrusive memories, avoidance, negative changes in thinking and mood or changes in emotional reactions, right? Those are the four. So let's just talk Mm. quickly. Intrusive memories, symptoms of intrusive memories may include recurrent, unwanted, distressing memories of the traumatic event, right? So those are like flashbacks, reliving it as if it were happening again, that actually 
the rec- the unwanted memory is not a flashback. That's a flashback minus the feeling, right? That's a that's a feeling mm-hmm. that it still makes you stressed out. Mm-hmm. But an actual flashback is reliving the event, and it feels like it's actually happening, happening. right now. Mm-hmm. Unsettling dreams about the traumatic event, severe emotional distress, or physical reactions to something that reminds you of the event. Um, and then there's avoidance. Symptoms of avoidance may include trying to avoid thinking or talking about the traumatic event, avoiding places, activities, or people that remind you of the traumatic event. Negative changes in thinking and mood. And this one can be slippery, so let's go over them quick. Symptoms of negative changes in thinking and mood may include negative feelings about yourself or others, inability to experience positive emotions, feeling emotionally numb, mm. right? And you see how that can be slippery. Nobody ever feels like that, Terry. Who's <laughs> numb? Here's the thing. You, you may be so relieved that you're not experiencing the trauma. Let's well, help someone's surviving, probably. Exactly. These are adaptive responses, and yet they become maladaptive really fast. Mm-hmm. Lack of interest in activities you once enjoyed, hopelessness about the future, memory problems, including not remembering important aspects of the traumatic event, difficulty maintaining close relationships. And then the last um, grouping is changes in emotional reactions, which can include irritability, angry outbursts, or aggressive behavior, always being on guard for danger, right? This, this hypervigilance, we call mm-hmm. it where you're always looking over your shoulder. Overwhelming guilt or shame, which is so damaging. That one is so important that if you have this, you got to get help. Self-destructive behaviors such as drinking too much or driving too fast, right? Because you're almost seeking this this mood-altering and high-risk behaviors are like a response, a reaction to this. Trouble concentrating, trouble sleeping, being easily startled or frightened, which I had that forever after my experience, which mm-hmm. was many years ago now, over 15 years ago. And I still, the only remnants I have of that being held up at gunpoint thing is I still have a heightened startle response. Mm. But in the beginning, it was terrible. I felt like everyone was sneaking up on me. I would constantly be saying to my husband, ah, you scared me. He's like, Gasping. Oh, mm-hmm. I scared you. Anyway, so that, that should help people. And the other thing we'll talk about where if you're having these, any of these that we just discussed... And there are websites you can go on and look up PTSD and get more into the symptoms. This is something where you want to work with a trauma person. And if you have been violated in some way, if you have been raped, if you even if you were incested, even if it was a long time ago, in New York City, there's a place called Crime Victims Treatment Center, which is at St. Luke's, where these are trauma experts. And they'll do a number of sessions for free. In New York, it's 12 sessions. And then they will refer you out to a trauma person who will work on a sliding scale. So almost every decent city has some kind of place. And all of these places that are crime victim treatment centers, most of them are getting federal funding, which is how they can give you free Mm -hmm. stuff. So I'm just saying that because a lot, you know, money is an issue for people getting therapy. And I want to make sure that you realize that you don't have to have money to get help for traumatic responses. Yeah. Well, I so appreciate this conversation because I think a lot of people, um, you know, and I, if I can just speak really frankly here, it's like they they see my brand online and they're like, oh, yay, I can, you know, shake a fist at that. Yay, your kick-ass life. But it's – and and they're, they think they're ready for coaching and then I might work with them. But then there's like this underlying stuff that – I, I feel like what I see in my experience is like you can get to a certain point, but it's kind of like a rubber band. And then if you haven't yeah. dealt with like that deep trauma stuff, it, you come yeah. snapping back. Yeah. And that's where 
that's why I like to really differentiate the difference between therapy and coaching and, you know, who coaching is for and who therapy is for. It doesn't make anybody wrong. I mean, I think 99% of the population could use EMDR and, and you know, all those things to, to help you get through your stuff. But um, No, but I think you're talking about being effective. You're, you're, yeah. you're wanting to inform your listeners of because here's the thing. Coaching is great. Therapy is great. Trauma work is great. Mm -hmm. The question is, you're helping people be able to identify what do they need because one thing comes before the other if you're actually going to be successful. Absolutely. For sure. And that's really the bottom line of it. So speaking of embracing change, one of your other favorite blog posts that you wrote you talk about surrendering and being comfortable there. And I selfishly like to talk to my guests about surrender because it's the thing I struggle with the most. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone too. just along with me for the ride. So where do people start with this, with the whole concept of surrendering to change? Well, part of it is, you know, my teacher, David G is his name. He's amazing. And he says this thing that is so true, which is that the only thing we can ever count on for sure, is that everything will change. It's true. And laundry. Yes, it's true. (laughs) And it's, that is something that, you know, Deepak also, Deepak Chopra is a a mentor of mine. And I've, I've studied with him pretty extensively over the last 15 years. And I love him. And he talks about being okay in the unknown. And he reframes it. And basically, many years ago, he was like, Daddy, the infinite possibilities of your life exist in the not knowing. Isn't that exciting? (laughs) (laughs) I would have LOL'd at that. (laughs) I I was trying not to. I love him so much that I was like, like, yes, it is exciting, (laughs) teacher. I mean, the, the two things that I can say about change is that when you change your frame about the way that you look at it, the illusion of things staying the same, the life cycle tells us that it will never be the same. You're not the same person now, Andrea, who woke up. You have shed all these cells. These cells have died and new ones are born. We're not the same. And the truth is we don't really want to be or we'd be bored out of our minds. Mm -hmm. What interested you at 18 wouldn't interest you now. I mean, most things, you know. And so part of it is the threat, the feeling of being threatened by change. If we can look at it through another frame, which is to basically say, I embrace change. How do you start is by just stop fighting it. Mm -hmm. How I look at change is that when you resist change, it's like you're swimming upstream. And what happens when you swim upstream? You're tired, you're exhausted, you're not really getting anywhere, you can't even look around and see anything because you're just so focused on down. Mm -hmm. So how about you flip over and float and now you're going with the current take a deep breath look around look at all of the beauty that is around you every minute of every day as you're living in your head and you're missing your one-of-a-kind amazing life so change you can't stop it that's literally like imagine how futile it would be and we would never do this Imagine if you were like, I just am not going to give in to, to gravity. No gravity for me. I'm not <laughs> doing you, gravity. It. For you, gravity. That's right. <laughs> I'm not doing it. I'm going to throw up this book and it's just going to float. Well, it's not. And this is the same exact thing. And yet we don't look at it that way. And it is actually just as nonsensical mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
to be fighting it. So embrace change, embrace aging. This is something because of where I am in my life that the changes that are that seem superficial, but they're physio the physical changes That's that you go thing. through as you age, it is <laughs> real. Yeah, it's it, I hear that. Um, I turned forty this year, and things things are a change in. And it's here's I'm I'm kind of like listening to what my listeners are probably thinking right now, and I think some of them are thinking. If I embrace change, then I am a slacker. So it's like my my people, my lovely ass kickers are dichotomous thinkers and it's black or white. So either I, I make up that they look at change as just like throwing their hands in the air and just totally surrendering. But if that's y'all listening, my answer to that is, and this is this is really what I try to strive for every day, one hour at a time. Embracing change and surrendering and at the same time honoring what's important to me and and really this comes down to values work and my Mm -hmm. most important are faith and courage and as long as I can stand in those two things in faith and courage Mm -hmm. then I'm okay then I'm really working and doing like my purpose on this earth right I wonder though if your ass kickers who are listening could look at it from the point of view that it's an illusion that this whole illusion of control i have had many successful careers i've made and lost a shit ton of money like i know how to use my will to (laughs) control my destiny i really do and yet over the last 10, 15 years as I've really gotten on this spiritual path, this evolutionary path, not spiritual really, God per se, spiritual like the universe, spiritual like, Mm. wow, what are the laws of the universe? Like what is actually happening? I realized that there there was a much simpler, less stressful, less white knuckling it way of achieving my goals and that there is a sweeter way of experiencing things than all of this type A, forward motion, king of the universe, master of all thing. Because the truth is, you're not the master of all. (laughs) You are just the master of you. What you think. You can't change that shit is changing all the time. You have no power to change gravity. This is life. And so part of it is realizing that you are seriously clutching this illusion of control to your chest but if you can let it go and continue to there is no giving up where when i say surrender from a type a uh, you know workaholic personality of course that's going to be heard as giving up throwing in the white you know mm-hmm. the white flag that's not what it is it's working smarter not harder it's allowing yourself to expand into what is real it is taking the time to rock profound self-care doing things that matter adding value learning about yourself being on a true evolutionary path while you continue with your kick-ass life and career Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's different so when i say surrender i mean surrender to what is like the law of gravity (sighs) right so when you waste time when we waste time, and I see this in my therapy practice, you use a, a simple um, example. I had a friend who lived in LA. She worked on movie sets, television sets. So that's long, long, crazy hours, like long standing show. And every time I talked to her for a long time, for years, 
she would tell me exactly how, how many hours of traffic she sat in that week. So on the 405, I sat in this, I did that, you know what I mean? And I was like, wow, wow. And and it was not a good thing. She wasn't listening to Deepak Chopra on tape or sn- like sniffing, <laughs> sniffing, you know, lavender oil or calling friends who she hadn't spoken to. I mean, she did call me to complain. But I mean, and my point, I always thought, wow, this is so crazy. This is like... Um, Einstein, right? Doing the doing the same exact insanity. thing, expecting mm-hmm. a different result, right? That's the definition of insanity. And I think that there's something about being attached to this, um, living in this non-reality. So if that person at my office hadn't, you know, talked to me before I left, I would have hit the 405 at the right time and I wouldn't be sitting in this traffic. And I like to say to my clients, okay, well, that's all well and good. And if I were born... 510, it would all have been different, but I wasn't, so it isn't. <laughs> so how about you're sitting in your friggin' car 20 hours a week, why don't you learn French or Spanish? Or, oh my God, quit your job if it's so Right, miserable. what a concept. Uh-huh. But like, wow, stop talking about the same bullshit because I want to kill you, and it's so boring, and you're wasting your beautiful life because you could be in your car 20 hours a week, literally learning a language, uh-huh. talking to friends, Doing something, listening to music, listening to books on tape. Listening to Terry's podcast. That's what I'm talking about. Listening to Andrea's (laughs) podcast. Right? Yes. Oh, yes. You're probably striking a chord with with some people listening. I I have one more question with you before we bid our farewell. And I would just like to know what surprises you about the people that you work with? Oh, so much. I'm... I love my clients so much. I have a very small, at this point, a really small practice because of all the other things I do, but I love my people. The the he, resiliency of the human spirit never ceases to awe me. Mm-hmm. It surprises me that people can have the most messed up things happen, the most hateful things happen, the most painful, sadistic things happen to them in their life, and they can turn around and become like a world recognized doctor helping people in the Congo. Like mm-hmm. instead of identifying with the aggressor and becoming an abuser, people can identify with the victim and not by staying victimized, but by coming a, by becoming a superhero basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that just blows my mind in such a profound way. And it's such a, an honor and a privilege to be any kind of a catalyst and to be a witness for people doing amazing things in the world. Yeah. I love that. I, I ask this question to several of my guests and I always get a different answer and it's just always beautiful. So thank you for that. Sure. Thanks for having me. This was so much yeah. fun. To you, again. you have to come on my podcast. Well, t- I, I will. And tell everyone, because I mean, you guys, who doesn't want to hear more of that sultry voice and the wisdom of Terry Cole? So tell everyone where they can find you and about your podcast and all of your things. All right. Well, you can find me at terrycole.com. My podcast is called Hello Freedom with Terry. Hello Freedom. Hello, it makes me want to free- sing whenever I see that on Instagram. Right? <laughs> um, and you can, you know, hit me up on social media. I love, I mean, I do sometimes spontaneous Q&As just anywhere. I'm going to start doing periscoping because, oh, my God, people are torturing me. So I'm just going to start doing it <laughs> because I just want to do spontaneous Q&As. Anytime anyone has a question about their life, trauma, love, sex, money, anything, dreams, 
I want to talk about it. So look for me on Periscope soon. I don't know when you're publishing this, though. So, <laughs> December. It, it, We're in December. Yes. Perfect. So and by December. Everything, everything you just heard, you guys, is at yourkickasslife.com forward slash 76. You can find all of it, including the blog post that we mentioned. So thank you again so much for being here. And of course, I will come and be on your podcast. And that's it, you guys. And until next time, I will see you all out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. Bye.